Welcome to the Special Generalist Podcast. I'm Peyton Kringley. Today I have Lake Indigo, a singer, songwriter, producer, who has an associate's degree in applied science and audio engineering. Along with being a candidate of Bachelor of Science in Music Education, he plays a guitar, saxophone, drums, piano, voice, and produces. With tens of thousands of plays, he is a recording artist, a remix master, and a beat maker. Another great friend of mine, welcome Ben Lee. Hello, thanks for having me today. <laughs> that was quite the yeah, intro. No. Appreciate it. <laughs> yeah, I, I think that doesn't even speak to the fullest of, you know, what you've been able to accomplish and kind of experiment with within your young career. And I know you've been one of my very great friends who's been one of my creative relatives in some aspects. I think we go about our creative processes in different ways, but it's we relate so strongly over it. So it's fun to, to interview you along with just the timing of your new album, your single, and, and stuff like that. But this isn't the first thing that we've collabed on. We started out hot in the vine, came over oh, yeah. to your house in, in high school. Yeah, and we the vine, made a vine. Right? <laughs> yeah. And yeah. we started up a little music thing, experimented with Fruity Loops, DJ Johnny John, shout out, and oh. all the music with Joel. And that, that was definitely one of the biggest outlets I know when I was younger and made me realize how I've always needed something creative. But nonetheless, I, I think it's cool to think where we are now, see where you exactly, are now. Yeah. yeah, you've seen that grow like from the start. I really think, like middle school, I think, is when we first linked up for the first time. And you, from the beginning, you got to see my growth, like, through music, really. Because I, like, I started saxophone in fourth, fifth grade, but I didn't really start creating until middle school. Right. And I feel like you really saw that growth, like, right away from when we were just making music in the, in at your mom's place here on the kitchen table. I just remember that vividly. I like with the USB mic, we were just having a good time and making music, you know. We just didn't really have any other motives in mind besides just, like, creating and having a fun time yeah and it was always such a <clears throat> emblematic moment for me i think at the time we were just kind of kids that like to create i'm not at all as musically inclined as you are but i just thought the whole process the just the entire the entirety it was a lot of fun and very stimulating for me mm -hmm. and it's cool to see, again to see where you are and i know you said you, you were always known as the beatbox kid in like yeah yeah Element. We went to Rita Murphy yeah. when you were younger than me. Come up to me and ask me to beatbox. That was what I was known for. I was just the beatbox kid. <laughs> do, do you think that helped incentivize you and kind of... It seems like it, it was just part of your identity to be that guy. And then, of course, they experimented with a, a ton of different... Uh, a ton of different avenues of instruments and music and production and how do you think you're from when you started as a kid the beatbox guy the saxophone then producing and where do you think that started and how do you think it's evolved into who you are now yeah i think like from an early age i just had a fascination of music just like listening to music I think that's where it really starts for most musicians. I just remember vividly coming home from like baseball practice and sitting down on the couch and just listening to music like Kanye or Outkast, whatever I may be listening to. It was probably something like that because Outkast <laughs> was my first CD I ever had, but big Kanye fan too. So I was always fascinated with what went around the vocal, like what went into the instrumental work because I was like at this age, I was like fourth grade, fifth grade. 
I didn't know anything about production. I was just like fascinated with how people can make music like that in in today's day and age. So that's really where like the curiosity started for me was just listening to music and like familiarizing myself with like how music sounds and like how it can differ from one another. And then from there, I just, I started learning saxophone in fourth, fifth grade. And I always knew I wanted to learn an instrument. I didn't know which one it would be, but I started on saxophone and guitar around the same age. And then that just bloomed into way more discovery. I kept listening to music through all of that. And then, like I said before, middle school is really when I like took my creativity to the next level and realized I can actually like make music. I don't have to just play an instrument or just be so curious about music. I can actually make it. But I'd say that really originated just from listening to music at a young age. I've been surrounded by it my whole life. My um, parents are really into music. They're not musicians, which is it's weird, but it's still pretty cool that they surrounded me with music. They've been listening to music, and it just helped me grow through my early years and make that fascination bloom. And middle school I, I is really when it, it got the creative juices flowing. It's cool that you started with curiosity. I think that this the domain of music is that but it's also cool it wasn't forced upon you you know what i mean from a young age you, mm-hmm. you typically hear the my kid's gonna learn piano and they're gonna learn at the age of four which i, like the, I wish wish i would have <laughs> but you know I, I, I know what you mean yeah i'm glad it wasn't forced upon me and it seems as though you let your curiosity you never know you could have been burnt out without even understanding your actual true curiosity and then you eventually put it into practice and started realizing, okay, if I actually practice this and do this and understand the different the different things you can play and how they all interject with one another, and you're, it seems like you're simultaneously figuring out the all different pieces, individual you know, pieces of the puzzle to map out the, the whole picture, which is really cool. Yeah, and music is such a wide world. You can go down so many different avenues. Some people... They pick an instrument in third, fourth grade, and they just play that their whole lives, and they become masterful at it, which is like an amazing avenue to take. And then some people are more all around. They blend different things into their journey. But I feel like any which way that musicians go, it's rewarding in a sense. If you keep that like curiosity in mind, and like you said, you don't get burnt out easily, because it, it definitely is something you can get burnt out on especially if you study it in college and are really into it in high school i think you just completely played right directly into the whole uh, theme of this specialist versus generalist not really verses but understanding in which that you can move in two different directions you can obviously become a master and you can also curiously explore and tinker and do a bunch of different things and i was reading i think it was like the the figli del coro the, the broke era 17th century there's like this orphanage or they were an orphanage group of girls and Mm -hmm. they had every instrument possible and they just all learned to play all of these different instruments and one of the cool things is it like they they mark it back to being one of the the revolutionary pieces of of orchestra and and everything in that nature i I read this which is cool I, i think one of the one of the things that i think that learning multiple or even having the curiosity to breath in your learning so many different instruments you've you understand the engineering but you also understand the production and now you're playing live shows there's all these different things and if you want to actually tie them all together you have to have an understanding of that but at the same time you can also right and you can also become a master of one and the only reason i i think that this came about was because jean jacques rousseau 
dated or dated one of these people in 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 Venice, Italy, in back in the 17th century. Not mm-hmm. to bore people with history, but it's a cool piece of letting people explore, lean into their curiosity. And then on the opposite end, it's you got to practice it and you got to narrow in, right? Like you're not going to, mm-hmm. I, I can't imagine how many hours of practice it took you to oh, learn yeah. your instruments, right? Oh, definitely. Yeah. It's practice is everything when it comes to music. It's great to have teachers and mentors in music and like production and stuff, but like it, apprenticeship it's something. Yeah. Yeah. Apprenticeship. Yeah. It's, but practice, it just, it's probably the most valuable thing if you want to grow in music. And yeah, just production wise, I put so many hours just in this room right here. I'm sitting and I put so many hours in this room. I've been like, in there. Yeah, you've been in there. Yeah. Just not even being really good at what I do, but I just knew I had to put the hours in to get to a point where I'm like comfortable with making music. And that's big advice when I tell people like they want to get into music production or like making music, writing songs and stuff. You gotta push through the parts where it's not fun, and that that can be said for a lot of different professions, a lot of different careers. You just gotta push through when it's not so fun, and then give it some time, and it, you it may be comfortable down the road. Um, and I think I've finally come to a, a spot like that, but it's taken me a long time. I put a lot of hours in down here and just perfecting my craft, and I. I think that can be said for every musician, everyone that's passionate about music or just any trade in general. You're right on the money. I think the amount of hours, the time that you've practiced your craft and mastered the things you're doing while keeping a listening ear open and curious. And, and th- those are the two dimensions I think that most people can be successful off of. And the, the whole, again, the whole premise of this is the special generalist is to basically play on the practical and the curiosity so basically how do you Mm -hmm. practice how do you master what you want and how do you sample what you want to do by being curious and leaning into your interests and for example do you like when you played when you learned one instrument did it help you learn a second or did it did oh definitely music is tied together in a sense I'd say piano is the most universal instrument you can learn that'll transfer to you know every other most general basically the most general yeah that yeah but even when I learn guitar, just learning any instrument will help your ear grow in a sense to identify things in music that you couldn't hear before. And then that just keeps going and going the more you learn. Say I started learning piano after high school. I waited a long time, which I regret. But no, I remember piano, when you didn't know how because we were, you yeah, were, I don't know how to play it. Yeah, yeah. I still don't know it that well, but I can find my way. But yeah, piano helps in a sense where you're learning the notes. You're learning music theory as you play the instrument, whereas guitar is more of a learn-by-ear instrument in a sense. Not all the way, really. Like, you can learn guitar theory. You can apply it to those things. But I'd say piano really helps in the sense of music theory, music production. And then when I started, when I began learning saxophone, it just opened up a whole new avenue of I can make sounds like through an acoustic instrument. It's just my air coming through my body that's making a sound through an instrument. And just that may sound goofy on the surface, but just that realization made me think like how far music can actually go, just like playing a wind instrument. And then that just, it just elevates the more instruments you learn, the more things you learn about music. You become more cross-disciplinary, right? And that that plays right into, I was going to say, that plays right into... There's a book by John Slabata called The Musical Mind, 
and in the, in that book he found that the most exceptional musicians play more three or more interest instruments like they don't necessarily mm. doesn't mean that they're a master at all of them it means that they've mm -hmm. learned a couple that then actually integrated into their specialty if that makes sense I which, gotcha. I, which yeah. is really cool oh it is really cool yeah and i think that plays into exactly what you were just saying like you you learned how wide music actually is and, and it's not genre constraining you know instrument constraining i think it's a really cool use case or on the surface right like you just said it seems silly mm -hmm. yeah right? yeah it's music is just it's so much bigger than we can realize and i've i keep learning about it as each day goes by music is like an endless world i tell people i think in a sense it's very like divine but it's something we can feel and right. i try to incorporate that when i play music when i make music because I think to me, it's something more than, you know, just something we can hear in a sense. You feel and it. That, maybe it's, that's, right. maybe, yeah, maybe that's why it's so endless. And maybe that's why it's so rewarding is because there's, it's just so much feeling involved. I, I think that is one of the reasons why I love your music. And I think that it's actually consistently evolving is that you have the, the technical ability engineering wise, like you, the systems. But then you also have this spirituality that comes through your music and your curiosity and just continuously carrying that. That's what they always say. It's you can make a manufactured beat, but it gets old and it dies. You yeah. emphasize timeless music that makes you feel a certain way when you listen to it. It's got all of that. And I, I think that that's uh, authentic and I think that's extremely cool. You know. Thank you, man. I appreciate that. That's definitely something I strive for like in my music. Yeah, I think of this songwriter, his name is Kevin Parker, but he, his band name is Tame Impala, but he makes all the music. Yeah. I'm a huge fan of Tame Impala, but someone asked him like, if he knows music theory or what does he look for when he goes to make music or what has he, what is his goal in mind? And First of all, he said he doesn't know like advanced music theory, which is crazy for how like good at music he is. But he said he, if he likes something he hears, he goes and learns that. If he hears a chord in a song or if he hears a melody, he goes and learns it. And then he, he deciphers it and he breaks it down and he thinks about it. Why does he like that? And then he tries to incorporate that in his own compositions, like to make other people feel that way. But a big thing with him is like feeling the music. And like I just said, I think that's a big thing for musicians to take and just play with. And that doesn't mean just rip a melody from a song or rip the same chord progression from a song, which happens all the time. But make it your own in a sense that it translates well to yourself, but also other people out there. But yeah, Kevin, Kevin Parker, a uh, huge inspiration of mine. So it's extremely cool that he first says, okay, how does it, why does it make me feel that way? I felt mm -hmm. something there and then he takes it to the side and then maybe reverse engineers it or then does the thinking portion, tries to break it apart. Yeah. But at the same time, it's like, why did that make me feel that way? And sometimes you don't, it just does. Yeah. But, yeah right. Sometimes you can't, you don't even know why, but it just, and that's another cool thing about music, but that's it's very true and i think that it's cool to even talk about music in a way that you can even break it apart to the abstract the theory what it makes you feel abstractly to think abstractly but then also to break it down into just the practical how do you play this thing how do you how do you orchestrate everything to seamlessly and button things up and i think that is the beauty and that is exactly why i'm having this podcast is to use 
different domains talk about that with people I think have experience from the technical details all the way up to the theory and the abstraction. And it's just cool to hear you talk about what you're listening to within your favorite artists and how they conduct themselves and what you're doing in your practice, mm-hmm. right? Oh, yeah. Cause, it's cause incredible, you, you, I think. Because you are learning, and I assume in musical education, you're learning a lot more of the theory and a lot more how mm-hmm. it can translate into general terms oh, yeah. or how you can convey that, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I in college, at least at you, Mary, it was very classically trained. It was very like classical music, whereas yep. my education in uh, Minnesota to get my associates in like audio engineering, music production, that was all like pop music, uh, contemporary music, stuff like that. So there was a big switch that happened like when I transferred for music education because it was basically going back in time right. to 1800s, 1900s and studying what they did as opposed to studying why modern music is effective and good. Whereas when I learned about why these composers did what they did in the 1800s, 1900s, that opened me up even more to how composition is so effective and what makes something sound so much better than something else. And I've never been the one to like really analyze music theory. Like it definitely helps. Like I I took music theory courses at both uh, schools of my education. But I've never been the one to listen to a song, like a complex song, and say, what is that, like, chord progression? Is that a, a two, four, six, five, something like that? I've always just listened to it. I want to digest it and then maybe go into that. So I that's feel a, like... That's a parallel to what you were just talking about, then think. Yeah, exactly, exactly. I feel like if music theory isn't applied it's just it's just like doing a math problem it's not really and music is way not that not to discredit math at all math is very important but music is very different than math you're, and music you're talking theory about application versus theory is what you're saying yeah, yeah so if you can apply the, the board music and, theory as i said that goes across incredible. the board as i said that goes across the board in every single educational domain really you know what i mean you have mm-hmm. on one end of the spectrum you have the science and then you have the applied science, and then you also have the vocational skill of, of ab- actually the application. You know what I mean? So you have, so whatever, say you're yeah. a chem- chemistry major, or you could be a chemical engineer, or you could be someone who's actually operating within as a technician or whatever, right? And right. I I think all of them are useful to understand in, in the entire spectrum, and I think that the people that are the most well-rounded have lived in all of those spaces. Yeah. I, one one of the things that you brought up is that you, you did classical. I want to bounce this idea off your, what I had read as far as there's this guy named Jack Cicchini, who is a guitar player, guitar. One of the people could play both jazz and classical music, which are on opposite ends. Okay. Of some spec. Yeah. Off yeah. yeah, and, yeah. And, and so the whole premise of, sometimes being a specialist is being able to practice things that are very tonal or very predictable, very common. And then kind Mm -hmm. of jazz is more improv, more, more creative, more flow. And I thought it was, I thought it was quite interesting that you said that you learned classical. Do you think that it was uh, at all a constraint or do you think it made you understand like the specialty and, and appreciate it? I would lean towards more like the specialty and like learning to appreciate it. Just because nowadays I know that music basically doesn't have boundaries, 
But back then, 1800s and before that, those musicians, they were almost held to those boundaries so much that if they broke those boundaries, they would, people wouldn't listen to their music because it would almost be too far out there. So I think nowadays, like me learning about it now, it opened me up to way many, way more possibilities that can be made with music. And like you said, with jazz, it's basically, I wouldn't say it's all improvisation, but it's like, there's way, way more or less rules than classical music. There still is like set parameters to, that makes like effective jazz music. But so many jazz musicians, they just learn by ear. They listen to the grades. They just learn these lines by ear. It's much like a language. Jazz is like a language. That's what he had which, said. That's what exactly what yeah. he had said. He said, though, as he's been a world teacher apprentice, he had said, though, it's easier to teach a jazz musician classical, but it's harder to teach a classical musician jazz. Oh, for sure. That's so true. Which, yeah. which, if you were to think about the specialty in the more restrictive and the more confining rule-bound system, would be the specialty of classical. And then as you become more improv and creative, it, the, the rules and the systems become a little bit less bound. So to me, that, that was an interesting thing. And, and going all the way back to our original discussion about how you leaned into your interest and curiosity and your listening ear instead of specially learning classical music and then trying to learn how to improv outside of that, I think that yeah. you actually are blessed within your curiosity. Yeah, I agree. I, I think that helped me a lot. I I wouldn't change much from like when I started like learning about music. Probably the only thing would be learning piano at a younger age. You live and you learn, and I'm, it's not too bad to pick up at a later age. But I'm very glad I didn't just start on like classical piano and they just put a a bunch of notes in front of me and I learned that way. I was way more experimental with my music, like starting out. And then later. And then you and then I dialed it in later, which right. really helped, yeah. No, yeah, I, I kind of had a conversation about this with my saxophone instructor because he knows like saxophone, I can read music like very well. You put something in front of me, I can read it pretty well. But then guitar on the other hand, I'm way more ear-based guy. I know shapes, I know chord shapes, I know what's gonna sound good. But if you put sheet music in front of me on guitar, I'll run out the door. But, and it was really cool because he got to, he was my jazz instructor. So he heard me play guitar in jazz band, but he also watched me play saxophone for individual lessons. And he could see that those two worlds colliding in a sense. And he, yeah, he talked about this exact thing in one of our lessons, how I'm very balanced when it comes to like my musical ear and when it comes to just reading music. And I feel like that's very important. It's a great balance for a musician to have. Yeah, and that same thread of the Jack Cicchini had said that he'd ask people, he'd ask jazz musicians if they could read music, and he said, not enough to ruin my music type of thing. Yeah. <laughs> and obviously a jazz musician would say that, but like you had just emphasized the balance of kind of the rule-bound understanding and reading and then also to be able to ear and improv. It's super cool. You see all sorts of parallels, right, like with the creative improv state and being able to go off the cuff. Your, your brain does your brain doesn't edit and create simultaneously to some aspects and if it is then it, it contains exactly, it. Exactly, yeah. And jazz is so much it, it's so much like a language where you like learn these lines, you learn these first you learn notes which is like letters I'd compare it to. And then letters make up words. So then notes make up these little phrases. So there's so many different parallels between jazz music and just having a conversation in a language. Like you basically learn these phrases and you practice them a lot and then you can use them where you please. 
And it's so profound. I don't have a very extensive like jazz education, but it's something I definitely want to keep learning about, and I'm sure I will. But anytime my instructors talk about jazz music, it is, it's something profound that I feel like people nowadays don't give enough credit to. People say that jazz music is dead nowadays. I don't think that's necessarily true. I think people are still making really great jazz music. You just have to search for it. But it is one of those art forms that is very rare in how it's, you know, made and composed. It's much like vocabulary in like a language. Yeah, I mean, if you were to think about the, if I just made an axiom of classical to jazz and how they're both dead, obviously there's a dance between, in my head, I'm very minimal in understanding this. I'm more of a cocktail conversationalist at this rate. But it, it it seems like it's the two places of your brain they did i think charles i'm gonna mess this name charles Lim did like an mri study on jazz musicians and it was like their the part of their brain that edited was completely non-existent like the part of their they wow. would like understand rules and whatever it was just all f- like just a vibe and it was just all yeah. creative state of yeah. the mind which is, is so cool Very and not cool. to disrespect the the editing part classical oh no that's down, important you know, too yeah. exactly yeah. yeah, and it's I I listen I, I read these and, I, and then I take general concepts from them. And I'm like, oh, it's it's quite interesting, but nonetheless, it's pretty cool to to see. Do you, we can rule? We can come back from our tangent of different history lessons and talk about yeah. where you started to really surface and try to take your music public between the remixes. You have SoundCloud, the experimentation. You have a bunch. You have remixes with hundreds of thousands of, of plays and then you have you have your personal music and your like take me down the road of, of how that all happened was it interest or is it yeah, the same sure. parallel yeah it's pretty much the same parallel i've always made what i've liked at the like any point in time middle school it was electronic music was the big thing edm was getting its big breakout and i'd hear skrillex i'm like what the heck how did someone make this i just wanted to it was just curiosity at that point and then I'd say eighth or ninth grade, I downloaded the demo Fruity Loops um, on my computer, which is like a music production software. It's actually oh, yeah. pretty solid music production software. I got some skill in there. Oh, yeah. I can lay, yeah, I can lay down some tracks. Some yeah, yeah, yeah. The arrival. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I started messing around with Fruity Loops way back in the day. And actually, I used that for three to five years, I'd say. It's a great program, but I just... Uh, watch YouTube videos, how to make beats, how to do all sorts of stuff. And YouTube is such a great resource now for music production. If you want to do something, if you want to figure something out, just search it in YouTube and I guarantee there'll be a video about it. But yeah, I just tinkered around, experimented a lot with just making beats and just, just experimenting how different sounds go together. And then as I said before, electronic music was big at the time. So I'm like, hey, let me try to make some trap remixes or some electronic remixes of these songs I like. So the process with that is basically you just find an acapella on YouTube or Google, something like that. And an acapella is basically just the vocal of the song. It's no instrumental. So then it would be my objective to build the instrumental around that acapella and make it my own. So I did that eighth, ninth grade, and one of them blew up out of nowhere. I didn't promote it at all. It just, it wasn't even that extensive. Like I wasn't even very proud of it. It took me like two hours to make, and I threw it up on SoundCloud, and then it was blowing up, and I was like, why is this thing blowing up? And 
people were commenting that it got put on like a viral vine, which is pretty cool. I mean, you shout got TikTok nowadays. Yeah, yes. shout out to Vine. Vine is better than TikTok. <laughs> just kidding. But yeah, I got put on a viral Vine and just kept growing from there. I was super surprised. I didn't do any marketing or promotion or anything. And then I just kept making those while also branching out some more guitar music here and there. I'd try to put out a beat and then put out like a guitar song and keep it pretty balanced to try to be like an all-around musician. And then I kept doing that probably through high school. Just kept working on electronic music. And it then, seems like it seems like you value being well balanced. Oh yeah, I definitely value being well balanced. In music it's very beneficial. I think in all aspects of life it is very beneficial. Yeah. I think even keeping your body and mind balanced, it can it can make music a lot better. I try to stay active, I try to keep my spirit right. And that goes into music. It'll make any career better, it'll make basically anything better. But yeah, you you hit the nail on the head. I definitely value balance when it comes to just my daily life and music in general. Yeah, it's it's very beneficial in all aspects. So then I'd say after experimenting with trap remixes and stuff like that, I'm like, I want to make some music. I want to make like actual music. Not that electronic music isn't actual music, but it's, I want to make something more authentic in a sense. You want to make know, you. Something that, yeah, I want to make me, exactly. And that's not to say that I don't still make electronic music. I still do, and it's a lot of fun. But I'd say high school, I started messing around on guitar, writing my own song, recording covers of songs that were more guitar-based, stuff like that, putting up YouTube videos. I think that was around the time like Instagram was coming becoming popular. So I would make some Instagram videos just to build a little bit of a following. And then when I left high school, for McNally, that was really when I started putting the work in to become a, like a good songwriter, to write good songs before I would record them. And that really brings me to now. I just kept perfecting my craft. And a lot of what I record now and what I make and put out in the world is very from like a songwriter's perspective. But it helps so much to have the production chops as well, which I learned eighth, ninth grade. Like that helps immensely because a lot of songwriters musicians nowadays they may have one or the other very killer songwriting skills but they don't have access to resources or music production equipment so i think right and it, it just goes back to that balance thing and it's really working out in the moment it was a lot of hard work middle school high school i'd just be making beats and stuff and i would not like it at all but i would just push through it and make a beat and i would just think it was terrible and i'd delete it but then I'd show other people and they'd be like, oh, this is pretty good, but I still wouldn't like it. <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah you're and one of those people. I'm, I'm yeah, assuming always. your production in, in this world now, you got to be able to pump out quantity and the, yeah. the production. Obviously, you need to have the ability to not be so slow on your learning curve. you got your skills to, to make your music production-wise, mm -hmm. which is probably allowing you to focus on other aspects of perfection and like you're not actually having to consciously think about hey where do i place this where's the where's this file all those it, different it, requirements it becomes muscle memory after a while just right. like any other yeah, any, yeah yeah it's unconscious now which is extremely mm -hmm. beneficial when you're building your brand a lot of things i touch on here and with my whole specialist generalist thing is it's about personal branding, being able to, to reach outside. I know you're doing a lot of different things right now. I know you got, we, we were just talking about finding Novion. Is that how you pronounce his name? Yeah, yeah. Yep. And you got production on him. Yeah, he was 
doing a show with your one of your beats last weekend. Which yeah, is, that you know, was super surprising. Yeah, which is awesome. And oh, it's so uh, awesome! It's very rewarding. That's a complete side tangent to to uh, your new album and your and, and yeah. you're putting the final mixes and stuff on that. And what all goes into differentiating Ben Lee, Lake Indigo, Benny Drop It, like, or whatever thing you got going on yeah. and, and trying to consolidate and understand, okay, because you're obviously having to create these little persona brands mm-hmm. because you can't have a hodgepodge. You know what right. I mean? Like, you have to yeah, reduce yeah, yeah. and have an aesthetic. You have to have a sound. Yep. You can obviously pivot, but... Mm-hmm. And you can also incorporate outside things. What I mean, take me down that building your yeah. brand and. I think with Lake Indigo, it's very it's very authentic. The only thing separating that really from like Ben Lee, is basically just the name. I'd say I try to be as authentic as possible, and I think that translates well through the music. And I hear a lot of like marketing advice now, and I'm sure you know a lot about this too, how authenticity can go a long way if you're just right. if you're not putting on like a fake face for social media and stuff and you're just putting out content that is a part of you and part of which resonate with in a sense so lake indigo is basically just me with just a different name <laughs> which but is cool the sound i think it does have its own sound it's it's grown into a very introspective indie rock in a sense with like lush guitar sounds and like very pure vocals and even the the lyrics are very introspective and spiritual in a sense and that's, right. it's definitely yeah it's definitely something that i hope is original i think it is now after so many years of work and that kind of comes naturally some people ask me like how do you find your own sound you like how do you pick a sound you just i just made music i tried not to stick in with one type of sound and after i'd say five or so years your sound just evolves and that it just becomes you can hear it in each Thing you make like your little hints at your own sound which is really neat you so, yeah I, I was gonna say i think off two things i think the authenticity shows within the collection of you do have an original sound it is you which is cool you're not you're not yeah, debasing you. debasing your sound off of trying to make a measure off of another sound you know what i mean like it's you mm-hmm. and i think it's cool and then back to the unauthentic manufactured marketing one of the things i've learned especially with tinkering around with this whole special generalist thing is Personally, I would rather have 10 fans that are engaged and commenting and I'm, I'm having conversations with than having 50,000 that are just like fake filler bots or something. Like, I would right, much exactly. rather, I'd much rather focus and give that one person a exclusive access off of that most engaging fan, the one that is an absolute diehard, supportive, and I'm sure it meshes well with your supporters and your friends and stuff like right. that. And, and even yeah. after doing two episodes of this, I've gotten people I haven't talked to in, in some time saying they listened to my podcast and thought it was awesome. And to me, that mm-hmm. is extremely rewarding and then also is an extension to maybe I hope that eventually I, I can mend that relationship or try to att- attend to it marketing-wise and continue to try to think, okay, even if I have 100 people that like me, then so be it. Like if I have 100 listens on whatever then, then yeah. that's enough to continually grow and continuous to, to be, re- be rewarded with it. And it's not like I'm looking for yes men or trying to find that, but I think I've actually learned that 
in part from you because I think that you've mm. done a great job with being patient and growing and making your connections and your friends and your network between McNally, the second school you went to was called uh, yeah. IPR, yep, and then now you marry, yeah. and now you got Ghost Host, and you got a Ghost lot of, you're pushing yourself <laughs> in a lot of different directions, which is so awesome, but you're so competent to do it now, and you have mm-hmm. friends and, and a network, and, and I can just imagine how you know rewarding and beneficial and, and supportive that is, of course. Oh, yeah, it's definitely rewarding. And I feel like that foundation was so key, like what we touched upon earlier, like how I started, how I got into music and stuff. That's so key when it comes to creative journeys like this, just just to introduce yourself to the art form and to all you can do with it. Because if I wasn't to do that, let's say I would probably be intimidated by everything that's going on with my life right now, even though it's not, you know, anything super crazy but I'm doing a lot of things when it comes to music which I love but if that was to come at me when I didn't have that foundation of knowledge of music how I can apply it how I can make it I it would probably would have taken me off guard and that might be happening to some artists in today's age that go viral on TikTok from a 30 second snippet that that's the first song they ever put out which I think is really cool I think music marketing is headed in a really cool direction a lot of people are quick to write it off, but that may that may not benefit them in the long run to not have that foundation. They're almost learning as they go. So sink or swim. I think. I, you, y- you yeah, have, exactly. you built the found you built the foundation. Um, you're very grounded. You have the ability to move in a lot of different avenues that take their part, and then also have them complement one another because you've done it in the certain way that you've done it. You have this core you. And then you have a lot of these different extensions of what you are, but also how they can play into one another. Like, obviously you're making beats for rappers, and then you also are a part of a band named Ghost Host. And then you've also got mm-hmm. this album coming out. You definitely are experimenting and understanding whatever which way it goes. Maybe one thing blows up and then it takes a lot more of your attention, and then you'll mm-hmm. master that, and I'm sure you'll jump right back into to doing multiple things again from exploration. And I think a lot of people's lives go like that. And I'm in a similar direction. I'm working like crazy right now. And then I'm like, oh, I want to do this podcast. And it's okay, how are you going to fit it? How are you going to fit working out? And how are you going to do all these different things? But it's awesome to see you do what you're doing. Do you think that there's more battles of being a modern day artist? Or do you think that you've looked at it optimistically as far as how it's much more saturated with obviously potential wanted entrepreneur, musician, producer, you have to be more of a generalist because you have to know the marketing, you have to make graphics, you have to learn yeah. how to, to yeah. use distribution. What would you say? I think there's a little bit of both. Why? Like you said, it is very saturated now. Anyone with a computer can make a song and say it blows up when they've been making music for a week and I've been making music for almost 10 years. It can be discouraging, but at the same time, I look at it as more, you know, of an open avenue. Like, you definitely have to do more things to be successful as a musician nowadays, but there also is a lot more things available to you. Say, if you were a studio musician, in the 80s or 90s you got to pay a lot for studio sessions whereas now i have a studio space right here and i don't have to pay at all in that that, sense do you think that contributes to the the saturation the accessibility it, it it does contribute to the saturation i'd say 
So in that sense, it is a little bit more difficult. And making making it as a freelance musician, which I'm not really yet. I still have some education to go. But eventually, I'd want to go down that road of, of being a freelance musician. You got to do a lot of different things. You got to be collabing for different or like producing for different artists. You know, you got to be doing all sorts of things, playing shows, having merch. All these things contribute to that. Whereas maybe in the old days, you're just a singer when you get paid to go into a studio and sing some songs and you'd have enough money to pay your rent and pay for food and stuff. So I think the uh, options, a, I was say yeah, it's options, but it's more competitive. Exactly. Yeah. I think I can't complain at all. I think it's, I think music is in a good place. It's definitely hard to make it as a musician in today's world, but I think it has always has been. People try to exaggerate that nowadays a lot more. I think saying that, Oh, you can't make music. You can't make money as a musician nowadays. But I think there's money in everything if you put the work into it and you care about it a lot. But like you said, right. there is definitely a lot of different avenues you have to take, and you have to be very well-rounded. Yeah, I, I agree. I think there's more opportunity to be sovereign and produce what you want, create your brand, do all these different um, things that you've just, you know, mentioned. Things that I tell people they have passions outside of maybe what they're doing in their nine to five to do not to not to to say that you aren't uh grinding away elsewhere at the same time there's always this back and forth between honing in mastering your craft putting in work and then also explore exploring trying to hey i gotta learn how to i gotta learn how to make graphics or hey i gotta figure out how to produce this not the music but the actual you know distribution yeah. of this music how do i get creative in those aspects do you think that because it's oversat, it's so saturated now that there's an emphasis on quantity over quality with music? I know you talk about making timeless music that ages well. It seems like there's a little bit of a, a manufactured feel to sometimes the constant release. I used to have an album and I'd listen to it for the entire semester of school. And now yeah. it seems like I listen to an album and it lasts a weekend. Yeah, I totally agree. I feel like, especially popular music nowadays, it really caters to that quick dopamine hit in a sense. Get hedonistic, that, the hedonistic yeah, type of music. Exactly, right? where it's good for a week in a sense. It could be longer than that, but it, it's very quick to the average listener's taste. Whereas I think music, I think there's value in that too. I won't write that off. I think a lot of artists can make very catchy music that appeals to the, the average population. And then you have other artists that want to put it on a more like level of art. So they want to have their product be be something of art that can stand the test of time, that leaves a legacy. It's kind of cliche, but I think of Kanye. He puts out projects, I wouldn't say every year, every couple years. When Kanye is about to drop a project or he's gearing up for one, people are listening, they're tuning in. And whatever he puts out is going to be very creative. It might not necessarily be the best thing he ever puts out, or it might not be the worst. It's going to be something that leaves a legacy in a sense. And, and I think it, that's something... It also something... seems to age. Like, yeah, well. it ages very well. Yeah, exactly. I remember when Life of Pablo came out, I still really liked it a lot. The first couple listens. But then I'll listen to that album right now, and I'll be fascinated by it still. I still really like almost every song on it. I think that's a very important part of music that's almost missing from this the younger generation, so to speak. Not to say that I'm very old, but you got this new TikTok generation of making quick hits that appeal to the listener. And a lot of those songs are very 
well-written songs. They're very good songs, but I almost feel like some of the art is missing from it. And I, that I, goes back to, exactly yeah, it goes back to feeling the music. Right. And this is exactly what I'm trying to play on with quality versus quantity from a business standpoint, from a production standpoint, from a general standpoint, you have to understand the sacrifice of quality when you do repetitive, quick amount of quantity, right? Everything online yeah. requires you to consistently feed the algorithm to stay involved in it. And it's it makes a hyper-produced hyper and almost like a dull product sometimes. And you are seeing a resurgence of people who care about the quality of their product that are emphasizing it. But then there's also like the fake marketing that are emphasizing quality, eco-friendly, yeah. et cetera, et cetera. And there are, and I'm not discrediting any companies that are actually doing that, but it is, you want to contain some of that divinity that you're talking about that I think when I talked earlier about how you are an engineer and you obviously have the, the degree, but you've also put a strong emphasis on that. And I've thought quite a bit about this podcast and how I want to do the production, how often, how much I want to, and I'm really trying to do a, a, a great quality product. I want people to be able to bounce in and out of episodes. I don't want episodes to get buried. I want this podcast for you to be able to pin this thing on your LinkedIn, your Facebook. I want people to obviously have a, a wholesome, holistic view of who you are in all avenues from songwriting, promoting obviously your music, but also what you want to do in the future. But this whole quality to quality thing is, it's a tough game because you gotta, you do gotta produce, right? You gotta you yeah, exactly. You can't stop at one song. You can't stop at one episode. So it's you got to get the systems right. You don't want it to to denigrate and, and remove anything that you want to add to it. And you don't want it to be too lean and too too dull. I just think of a mm -hmm. a really dull product that's just kind of like colorless, and you yeah, yeah you remove that during that process. And I think a lot of that goes back to that foundation, <laughs> that experience we were talking about. Just once, if I wouldn't have put the time in to get where I'm at now, like in a sense of being creative and making music, I'd be more, I'd say picky with my music. Whereas now I almost trust myself a lot more like in my creative decisions. And it just, it almost helps in that quantity aspect where I used to be perfectionistic about my musical decisions and like how I make music and stuff. But the more I do it, the more I learn to trust myself and that can build on the quantity itself and it's right. still going to be become a, efficient. a pretty good quality right yeah. you, you're dialing in to who you are which i think the to preface this podcast has been in the works for over almost six to eight months it's not so much that i didn't just do it i wanted to make sure that the process to produce was quantifiable and quick enough so it didn't take away from my job my real job and i didn't take away from this podcast if I was going to do it because I wanted the creative process to happen. And then when I produce and edit and make sure that I, I can distribute it, that it's efficient enough to that, to having a, a good process. And what you, what it seems like you just said is you spent years and years understanding, yeah. understanding your skills, your abilities, how to apply what you're doing. And now it's exactly. Fun. Now it's fun. And the right? process itself, yeah. Everyone has a different process when it comes to creation and just right. um, doing whatever they love to do. So it's almost like learning how your process can make the best product and 
be the most efficient in a sense. So with me, it's music, not everyone, it's music, but I've learned what works with my process, what doesn't work. Like for example, I used to mix everything as I went. I mix, say a snare drum and it would take me like two hours to get my snare drum. Whereas now I'll be writing a song. I try to separate my writing process from the mixing process now because the writing process is way more creative. It's basically just throwing ideas like from yourself into the computer, you know, whereas the mixing process is a lot like editing, like post-production, like you were just talking about. So it's like now we're doing this podcast. Yeah, we're just having a conversation. This is like the writing portion. And then you'll take it into post-production and edit it. So I think, like you said, separating that those two helped me so much where I used to try to blend it together and it kind of it takes away from both parts. It takes away from the mixing and it takes away from the writing recording, but that works for some people. So I think that's exactly similar to everything that I've learned from my writing classes in, in college to everything that I've done within work. Sometimes I'm on the offense versus defense or editing and auditing different things. But my, my professor had said, you know, write, don't edit. My teachers yeah. in, in high school emphasized the structure and the editing so strongly that because I'm an idea person, I was never actually under, like able to organize my ideas. So now, after being in college and, and reading and understanding my ideas a little bit more, I can connect them after, almost like in a post-production. So let's say I'm writing a paper. I wrote an article recently. Mm-hmm. That's just raw ideas, just throwing out what you're talking about, thinking about and then I come back in and then restructure. I actually condense it. Shout out to Joel Crane. He taught me this. Condense it down into one sentence and then recreate it based off of whatever I was writing. And wow. yeah. it's cool to have your processes and your workflows. But to me, it seems as though like it's the common left brain, right brain type of thing. But to, to, to anyone that's trying to work on their creative process, just let yourself go, I think. like Just flow. Just feel yourself. That's so true. I think that touches strongly on creativity and editing and production. And I think that you're a great example of this because you do have, again, the audio engineering you know, background. You're learning the abstraction. You're a practitioner. And to me, that's where the two worlds meet. And then you have to understand both of those and understand who you are and how it fits. And it doesn't always match theory. Sometimes there's edge cases or there's new things that you, you discover, which is that's where yeah. I have the fun. But yeah. So much of production is just trial and error too. And just like writing a paper, very rarely you'll write a paragraph you like first try. So much trial and error. That's what yeah, I tell people it, when they want I to mean, get into production. It's the it's a specialist aspect of it because it's like the, the famous quote is, an expert is a failure in a narrow field, which basically means you just try fail. So you cut that off and then you try you cut that off. And all of a sudden you right. just get it. You get what you need, what you do, then you match what you're what you're actually making to the actual workflow and the process and so a lot of times people discount themselves before they even get trying and trying and trying again, right? Definitely. Yeah. That's evident in my first two podcasts have completely different interfaces for their screens and I'm sure it'll just continuously evolve and Instead of just acting like it's going to be perfect, I'm just going to keep tweaking it and tinkering with it. Mm-hmm. So what's on your lifelong pursuits now? You got you got student teaching here this fall, and then you get your bachelor's, and um, you got ghost host shows, and you got this new album. 
Yeah, I'm pretty busy. I start soon teaching in a couple of weeks, I think, August 18th or around there. I'll be in town in Bismarck, and then that'll take me to December. Then I'll officially have my bachelor's of education. I'll have a license to teach music K through 12. I don't know if that'll be in North Dakota or where, where that'll be. I'll cross that bridge when I come to it. But Ghost Toast is, yeah, that's the band I've been playing in for about seven months. I joined them, or it's been longer. It's been like nine months, but we didn't have any shows until three months I was into the band. So we practiced last fall semester. And of course, COVID, we couldn't really perform anywhere because that was still running rampant. And then we started performing, I think our first show was like January uh, 23rd or around there of this year. And it was amazing. I really enjoy playing with these guys. They're really nice people. They bring the best out of me and I hope I bring the best out of them musically and just as people. And they're very happy to have me in the group. They started as a University of Mary band and two of their members had graduated. So there was two open spots for bass and then guitar vocals. So we have Phil on bass and me on guitar and vocals that joined this year. And it's been great so far. What, I know you guys are working on some original stuff. You do a lot of cover stuff, right? What is... Mm -hmm. What do you, are, are you excited to see what that original sound is in some degree? I saw you guys play on the news. I watched that. That was awesome. Oh, yeah. Yeah. You guys. You guys that was did. really neat. Really cool experience. That's the thing with bands. It's really cool. You get everyone's influence when it comes to writing original music. You get, say someone's into uh, Led Zeppelin, but then another person's into like Post Malone. That those two worlds can clash and say you have more than two people in the band like we have five people you get all everyone's influences collaborating on a certain sound which you never know how it can sound and right now it's pretty cool we're shooting for about five songs on our EP which is we're shooting for September release date around there and the one we performed on the news called clutch that's probably gonna be the lead single but I'd say the overall sound is indie rock alternative with groove with some heavy groove we do branch into more like heavy rock stuff too when we play live we like to play all sorts of covers for the people we play some pop covers and we'll play everything from lizzo to led zeppelin to all the above and we play some of my originals too so that's been so awesome to play my music with a full band it's just right. been a blessing in itself to go off that point of how you get all that influence do you think one of the the common i don't know what it is idiom or whatever you'd want to call it is too many chefs in the kitchen or do you how do you manage not muddying the waters i so i think this is a good point because i remember you talking about some you say sometimes less is more within the music because like you oh, yeah. would ha you'd have however many layers of tracks and sometimes it muddies the waters. What, how do you, what, what's your philosophy on balancing that? And I think that's a very common and applicable thing. Definitely. I'd say within the band, it's good to take, you know, everyone's feedback when they have something to say, and then just incorporate their ideas without getting too carried away on, on every one of them, if that makes sense. Like, someone may have a very strong idea about a chord progression or how something should sound, but then someone else may be like, oh, how about we do that, but we do this with it, if that makes sense. So I think it, it's good not to form too harsh of, of an opinion when you're collaborating with others. Keep everything open, in a sense. But like you said, like you said, too many cooks in the kitchen. That's a very good way to put it. We had five guys in this little studio with an electronic drum kit trying to make some songs, and everyone had input on how things should sound, which is a good thing. I loved it. It was a lot of energy in one room. 
and that can get overwhelming but i feel like that goes into the overall product at the end Dude. like we would just we were just jamming and someone would have a guitar part and then plug them in lay it down i feel like that's a really cool songwriting to me it's like good teams manage the ability to collaborate within those circumstances do you guys have does it seem like there's an a, a implicit vote within yeah, that's not going to work, or this is going to work, or is there a final decision maker, or is there a hierarchy? These are all things yeah. that are applicable in work. Yeah. We have a group, there's sometimes a leader, and they have the final say, or there's a democracy, yeah. which in people vote, that's implicit maybe. I'm sure you guys are mm -hmm. pretty nascent in yeah. your, your production, but I'm it's, just curious. It's very implicit, yeah, it's more like group-based. We'll all decide on, as a team. I just think of like when we build our set list for a gig, we'll do that at the end of a practice usually. And sometimes that can take us, you know, half hour to an hour to build a set list because we're like, oh, do we want to play this song? Nah, it's not the right time for that song. It's actually a process building a set list, which I haven't had much experience with that prior to being in this band. And it's a lot of fun. And yeah, these guys are great. They'll take any feedback that, that comes their way and they're very uh, constructive you know, and very nice guys. They're very democratic in the way, like, we make decisions. It's very group-based. and Which is awesome. That's, yeah. that's that's set for a good team, and it obviously um, Definitely. Is, is why you guys have been able to get over the, the startup pump that so many teams get on, right? And now, now yeah. it's obviously figuring it out, and I'm sure some of those philosophies will boil down into maybe some circumstances, but... But at the end of the day, it seems as though it's pretty cool to see from afar that you have to get everyone on the same page somehow, yeah. right? So Exactly. I, I can always know, too, like with how fast the process goes. Like when it comes to songwriting, like we were, if I collab with someone and it takes a while to make a song or produce something, I know something's not necessarily clicking. And then I got to reevaluate what can I do better. When this band came in the studio, we were... We made two or three demos in one day, and that's how I knew, yeah, these guys can, like, we all collaborate, we all work together really well. That's, so that's a big Amazing. indicator for me is, like, how, like, the output in a single, you know, session or multiple-day session or something like that. And having a good time doing it and not... Having a like, good time doing it. We did, right. yeah. If someone lay something down, someone would have another idea, we'd all just be going nuts in the studio, and that's what you do it for. You love having those moments either on stage in the studio or just listening to your music where it's just wow like this is really cool that we can you know contribute to the world in this way it's awesome man that's that's awesome do you guys have any upcoming shows booked or here in the fall or we're looking at we don't have anything set in stone right now but laughing sun wants us back september our drummer austin he lives in california so he'll be back for school in September, uh, we actually might play a show on my birthday, which would be pretty cool. My birthday is September 4th, so we might play Laughing Sun that night, which would be a really cool birthday present. I know the Loof will want us back, too. We played there a couple times in the summer, um, which is a bar downtown Bismarck. And I was gonna, I was gonna say everyone that maybe yeah, know, a big yeah. audience is gonna say <laughs> this is in Bismarck, uh, where Ben's from. Yeah. Yeah, Laughing Stone is a really cool hometown brewery that has actually a lot of music nowadays. There's usually yeah. a, at least like some form of entertainment every night of the week, which is very inspiring to see in Bismarck. Yeah, that's that's awesome. So, to button this all up, what's the new album? 
the new When's album. It drop? Called... What's it sound? Oh, my What's bad. It sound? <laughs> no, it's good. Yeah, what, yeah. What's the new album? Yeah, yeah. You know, what? Well, give me the deets. Um, the new album is titled Harvest, and that name just basically just came from, just like you said, a button up of all the songs in it. I talk about Harvest a lot in my songwriting on the album. There's not necessarily a song called Harvest, but a lot of the lyrics go within that theme. So I figured why not call it Harvest, which is really cool because I didn't really have a motive in mind when I wrote the songs. They all just went that direction, which is really cool. Yeah, like I said before we started this podcast, I think it's the best thing I've made from an art perspective, from a production perspective songwriting perspective i think it's a great piece of work the sound is it's very like indigo if you like charades that type of sound i think you'll like this album there's i'd say it's like charades with better production i'd say or more precise production it's very guitar heavy so if you like guitars you'll like this album i actually didn't put any saxophone on this album which i kind of regret i finished up the album and then i was like i didn't put any saxophone on this album and i was like shoot but maybe I'll make like a jazz EP in a couple of months or something. But yeah, I think everyone will really like this album. I try to stick with the spiritual songwriting where it's not too over the top. It's not too in your face or cheesy. I give like biblical references here and there, but it's not in your face necessarily. I don't want to be forcing it upon people. And I think that in itself is very difficult to do. There's some hype songs on it. I got this song called Car Test. I think I sent it to you a little a while back. It yep. was just like yep. a rough demo, but it, it's indie rap, indie hip hop. It's the outlier on the project, but it's really cool. I think that'll be a crowd favorite. Uh, you always have one of those, which is, I think, really cool. Yeah, I got to have one of those. It was Orange Juice on yep. uh, Divine Intervention. Yeah, and I like doing that. But yeah, favorites on the album, I'd say... By My Side song, too. That's a very good song. Uh, wrote it about my girlfriend, but it's just a very accessible summertime song. I think people will like a lot. Everyone I've shown it to, they, they really like it. Hey Fever, of course, I put out already as a single and a video. I think song-wise and like overall structure, that's the best song on the album. It's not necessarily my favorite song, but I think that's like the best most well-written song on the album. And then I have another single dropping this Friday called You. It's more dance heavy. It's synth poppy. Get the crowd dancing in a sense. I like to have one of those on my album too. But yeah, when it comes to writing my albums, I try not to make it like dull. I try to make it flow in a sense where it can breathe. Maybe one up-tempo song and then one slower song and then back into an up-tempo song. So it still kind of centers around the same theme and the same sound. It'll be interesting all the way through. And there's, I assume, an evolution that we'll hear that kind of progresses between your previous stuff, which is quite yeah, awesome. Thanks, yeah, I showed one of my friends in the band the album, and he said it's like a blend of charades and divine intervention, where that's a great compliment because those are the past you know, two projects I've made. Like, I, If I can blend that together, that's pretty cool in my opinion. That means you're doing something, right? When's it dropping? Yeah, exactly. What's the date? It's dropping August 6th on a friday same day as kanye august <laughs> i don't know 6th. if that's a good thing or a bad thing but Dude, august you're, gonna, 6th. you're gonna take kanye out donda is not even gonna <laughs> I thought, see the chance i thought donda was dropping the 23rd so i was like oh i'm in the clear and then he then he delayed it to august 6th, 6th but it's all good little i think do that's you know, a good thing little does everyone know as you actually been camping out in the bismarck civic center yeah you have <laughs> yeah. A, a bed in there and a chef preparing you meals yeah, um, and I'm actually <laughs> dropping my own shoes after the album. 
So, so we got but I'll get to that later. <laughs> it's good timing to have you on this, and I hope in a week later, August sixth, is um, yeah. when we'll get harvest, and everyone listens and, and tunes in and gives it a listen. Where can we find your uh, stuff? Yeah, you can find it anywhere you stream music. I know Spotify is the primary one, Apple Music, SoundCloud, YouTube, anywhere you like to stream music. I go through a distributor called DistroKid. I'm sure a lot of musicians or creatives are familiar with that. It uploads to basically any any streaming platform, even TikTok, I think. So anywhere you like to listen to music, it'll be on there. I'd say Spotify is the primary. If you want to follow me on Instagram, I'd say that's my biggest social platform I use, and I'm most active on that. It's just at Lake Indigo. And I post content on there, and I keep you updated. So, yeah, looking yeah. forward to the release a lot. Yeah, it couldn't have came at a better time. I appreciate you having me. Yeah, I, I appreciate the conversation. I learned a lot. I that's why I did did this. So, thank you. Anytime, man. Thank you. <laughs>